Welcome to Insight Exchange, presented by LEK Consulting, a global strategy consultancy that helps business leaders seize competitive advantage and amplify growth. Insight Exchange is our forum dedicated to the free, open, and unbiased exchange of the insights and ideas that are driving business into the future. We exchange insights with the brightest minds of the day, the most daring innovators, and the doers who are right now rebuilding the world around us. So welcome to today's episode in which we'll explore the categories of solutions in the data and analytics value chain and the crucial role of cloud data storage in modern data and analytics ecosystems. We'll examine the different tools and processes involved in each category of the DNA value chain, from data integration and processing to analytics and visualization. Additionally, we'll uncover the differences between legacy and modern DNA infrastructure solutions, highlighting the advantages of modern solutions such as flexibility, scalability, and improved data governance. We will discover the benefits of implementing a modern DNA infrastructure, including enhanced decision-making, increased efficiency, and improved customer experiences through personalized interactions. We'll also discuss the core shifts driving the move towards modern DNA infrastructure and the key growth areas within the DNA value chain. We'll shed light on the competition between Snowflake and Databricks, two leading players in the market, and explore the factors driving the market growth of both solutions. Lastly, we'll discuss the level of competition between Snowflake and Databricks and the sources of customer migration to Snowflake. To provide insights on these topics, let us welcome our experts, Harsha Maranovar, Dominic Perret, and Jordan Barron. Would you please each take a moment to introduce yourselves? So this Harsha speaking, I head up our technology practice globally at LAK. I've been with LAK for about 16 years. I've also spent 10 years in product engineering prior to LAK, and I also head up the San Francisco office. And within technology infrastructure, we cover many, many disciplines from semiconductors through to uh, system and application software. And within that, data analytics ecosystem and the value chain uh, is certainly a critical domain area alongside cybersecurity, the IT infrastructures, um, the industrial digital in, uh, ecosystem, and getting down to compute storage networking uh, solutions as well. And certainly the information economy, specifically the data sets that are derived from all of the underlying infrastructure. So that's really where I spend all my time working with other partners around the globe. Um, half of our time is roughly transaction related and the other half directly with corporates on various growth strategy issues. Yeah, many thanks, uh, Harsha and Marco. Very excited to, to chat through today. Dominic, a partner out here in San Francisco with, with Harsha and Jordan on the West Coast. Uh, also sit within our data and analytics team here at LEK, as well as our broader tech infrastructure group. Uh, been with LEK around 12, 12 years or so. And yeah, very much looking forward to the, to the conversation today. Yes, and thank you all. Uh, thanks, Marco and Arjun Dom. I'm another partner here at LEK in our tech infrastructure practice, rounding out the group. Uh, been with the firm for about 13 years and spent a significant amount of time in the data analytics value chain, having worked with a lot of the venture capital firms, growth equity firms, traditional private equity firms, as well as the, the corporates themselves on growth strategy. So we've tackled this uh, subject from multiple angles and excited to dive deeper today. Wonderful. Thank you all for the introductions. Perhaps uh, to start out, um, what, what are the key categories of solutions in the data analytics or DNA value chain 
And what do you consider uh, the role of cloud data storage in the modern DNA ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely, Marco. Maybe maybe I start with this one. So, I think you know before before we dive in, I think it's obviously important just to emphasize the criticality of modern data architectures and their role within an organization. And there's obviously a huge array of different interconnected trends that are driving investment and, and growth across the data and analytics ecosystem. And a genesis for a lot of this in uh, a lot of this investment are the significant challenges that organizations see with traditional legacy data and analytics infrastructures. You know, they're not very scalable, they're error prone, it's tricky and complex to do data governance. You have many different uh, disconnected data silos. The management and the analysis of that data is really overly centralized. And you know, we'll spend a little bit more time later on in this podcast going through some of the benefits of a, of a modern uh, DNA infrastructure. But at its heart, it's really around improved data-driven decision-making, um, driving towards better insights, fundamentally improving the customer experience, right? So creating more personalized touch points with your with your customers. And fundamentally, it allows you to have a more distributed self-service uh, analytics model. So you have data scientists and data analysts that are embedded within business units that know exactly which queries to run and they have access to, to those data and analytics tools. And I think when we break down that ecosystem, there's really a couple of critical building blocks that we define within a modern DNA ecosystem. So the first is really the, what we call the stages of the DNA value chain. And Jordan will spend some more time digging into this in, in more detail. But fundamentally, if you think about the flow of data from left to right, you start with all of these various data sources. Then there's a set of data management uh, layers around that data. So everything related to data integration and processing, data middleware, so things such as data quality, data governance, data observability, the transformation of data. We then have the third stage, which we call data storage, and obviously the, the role of a modern cloud data warehouse or, or data lake is pivotal within that data storage stage. And finally, we, we have everything related to analytics and visualization, which can be basic analytics, basic reporting, all the way to more uh, advanced predictive data and analytics. So that's really one core theme that we'll explore in, in greater detail. And then the second theme, uh, which we'll also spend some more time digging into, is what we call the various DNA archetypes, um, especially the modern data and analytics archetypes. And this goes from you know, organizations that are doing their first tentative steps into a modern DNA architecture, so expanding beyond data silos, all the way through to organizations that are really doing best of breed machine learning, uh, building AI infrastructures, and really getting into that next level of, of data science. That's, uh, that's really insightful, Dominica. Thank you for sharing your perspective here. Um, now, moving on to, to the next question, uh, does Dominic introduce the four key stages in the DNA value chain? Jordan, perhaps uh, could you uh, walk us through what um, are the, the key tools and processes in, involved in each 
Sure, absolutely. I think Dominic laid out a you know how we think about the flow of information, uh, and so if we double click on that a little bit, if we think about data sources in particular, um, this is where you have the organization apps and other data collected and captured through various systems and tools. Um, so you can think about say SaaS application data. There's transaction data. It could be data captured from IoT devices or, or pulling in third-party data as well. So that's where you have your sources of data. And that data management layer where we subcategorize that into data integration and data middleware category, this is where you have tools that are ingesting the internal and external data that feeds to the storage solutions. So these could be uh, ELT solutions like Fivetran, uh, data flow management tools, you could have event streaming solutions like Confluent, uh, data replication and data virtualization players uh, like Denodo. And then you have within the, the data middleware layer, this is where you have the, the processes and solutions that are, that are making data more accessible and properly managed throughout the organization. So this category includes solutions such as MDM, management, data quality, data government security and cataloging, relation. Um, then you have a bit newer categories such as data observability. You have transform within there. D DPT Labs is a, is a good example, as well as we put reverse ETL in that data middleware layer such as census. And then we have the, the third category of the four is the data storage. This is the centralized home for all the internal and external data we spoke about. Uh, other under the data source category. So these are the vendors that many have heard about. And I think you introduced Marco as well. Uh, Snowflake, uh, the data warehouse or data lake such as Databrick. That's where they would live. Uh, and then the last category is the data analytics and visualization layer. Um, this is where we have basic analytics, reporting and visualization, as well as the more advanced solutions that do the predictive data analytics that are using AI and machine learning. So in the more basic category, you would have individuals such as Looker, uh, and maybe ThoughtSpot. Within the predictive analytics stage, you would have uh, vendors such as DataRobot, H2O.ai, DataIQ. Uh, and of course, you also have you know, legacy players that span across some of these categories uh, or all of them. Um, and so you have companies such as you know, Tibco or Informatica, more on the, the left-hand side of the value stage. And that vendors in the reporting analytics layer, such as Tableau, Power BI, some, some of the vendors uh, that a lot of organizations have probably uh, been accustomed to using over the last number of years. Thank you, uh, Jordan. That's, uh, that's a unique way um, to look at the uh, DNA value chain. Thank you for the detailed answer. Uh, now, turning our attention to the next question, what do you consider to be the, uh, the key differences between legacy and modern DNA infrastructure solutions? The legacy solutions have been around for a long time for obvious reasons, but they weren't designed to handle the large volume, the variety, and the complexity of data and the type of use cases that are intended to be uh, developed and served up with the type of data that we are uh, coming across today. So I think some of the constraints from legacy solutions is really about their ability to manage that vast array and depth of data to really help in downstream analysis, reporting, et cetera, whatever the specific use case might be. The second is they were designed for a user to be highly technical as opposed to a, a business user or a business analyst and be more self-help, self-service oriented. 
So those are some of the classical constraints. Uh, not to mention the fact that they're largely on-prem deployments versus some of the more modern solutions today, which are largely cloud native. And inherently with that comes all of the benefits of being in the cloud, flexibility, scalability, et cetera. Uh, but more importantly, all of the regulations and, and governance constraints that are being introduced uh, by jurisdiction, et cetera, are probably easier to deploy uh, when you're looking at a modern implementation. So being in compliance with privacy, data governance policy, enterprise-wide down to specific departments, but also introducing the necessary security um, compliance um, uh, programs in place, I think is is critical. Uh, the other aspect to modern is really serving up the solutions directly to the individual and stakeholders who are consuming it. So self-help, self-service orientation, uh, where they can run a lot of the analysis themselves directly on the source uh, data sets. Those are, uh, those are much more conducive when you have modern deployments versus some of the constrained situations of legacy systems. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Harsha. I'm, I'm really glad that you, you brought up some of the uh, benefits I'm implementing at DNA Infrastructure. On a related, related note, I wanted to ask, what do we consider to be the benefits of implementing a modern DNA infrastructure compared to a traditional or more legacy infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely, Marco. And you know, Harsha obviously covered a, a few of those items at a, at a high level as well. I, I think it's helpful to, you know, if you maybe dial the, the clock back five to six years as the modern DNA infrastructure was really getting off the ground, I think you were seeing a lot of investments happening on the right-hand side of that value chain that Jordan was articulating, right? A lot of investment happening maybe in some of the more uh, basic or or early analytics and visualization tools such as a, a Tableau or a, or a Power BI. And I think what you were seeing from organizations that were making these initial tentative steps, investing on that right-hand side of the value chain is they were really putting the cart before the horse with regards to the investments that they were making, right? So they were getting to a point where they had more modern analytics tools layered on top of, on top of a more legacy data infrastructure and they really weren't able to see the main benefits and the, and the ROI on those uh, investments that they were making. So really, the benefits of a modern DNA infrastructure, if you think about everything as it relates to connecting various data sources around data management, around data storage, it really is geared around improving decision-making processes as it relates to, to data. And data today really is at the core and the heart of a, of a modern organization. So you're able to analyze and query data in real time. You improve the overall accuracy and therefore the insights that you're able to extract from that data. And that really is one of the, the key critical, critical benefits. You also drive, frankly, a lot of efficiency and the potential for, for a lot of cost savings. So Yes, obviously there is an upfront investment to be made. There's a lot of services organizations that live in and around that DNA ecosystem that are able to architect and implement uh, a truly efficient ecosystem for organizations. But over time, that drives automation and streamlining of, of processes. And then there's also the, the tie back to the customer experience, right? If you think about organizations, the relationships that they have with their end customer, the customer is demanding an increasingly personalized 
experience with that company. So as the organization collects these ever larger volumes of data, they're able to leverage more sophisticated analytics tools to drive more personalized experiences, drive increases in customer satisfaction and and fundamentally improve loyalty and retention and, and stickiness. And obviously tied to that are all the benefits of competitive advantage, right? So more agility, greater responsiveness, uh, improved opportunities for, for innovation. And then Harsha also touched upon this, and I think this is a critical piece, which is it moves the analysis and the querying of that data from a centralized IT persona into a more distributed data scientist, data analyst who is embedded within the business unit. And, you know, they're obviously closer to the use cases for that data, right? They better understand how do I need to uh, use my data? What insights am I trying to extract? So they're able to use their skill sets within that given business unit to really drive uh, improved power from the data that the organization has. Thank you for um, <clears throat> for the thoughtful response, Dominic. Now, uh, let's pivot slightly and talk about what enable what enables organizations to capture the benefits of a modern DNA infrastructure that you just discussed. What are the core shifts driving the move towards a modern DNA architecture? Sure, I, I can take this one, Marco. So if we look at the work that we've done over the last number of years, we've identified about a dozen or so fundamental shifts that map back to the categories across the DNA value chain that we talked through at the beginning of this. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I, I did want to highlight a few. Um, so if we think about the, maybe the first one I would like to talk about is the move from ETL to ELT. So ELT or the extract load transform is a modern variation on the older process of extract, transform, and load or ETL, uh, in which transformations take place before the data is loaded. So running transformations before the load phase results in a, in a more complex data replication process. So because ETL transforms data prior to the loading stage, it's really ideal when a destination requires a specific data format. However, if you're storing your data in, say, cloud-native data warehouses, such as uh, Redshift or BigQuery or Snowflake or Databricks, we, we see that ELT is a much better approach. Your organizations can transform their raw data at any time, uh, when and as necessary for their use case, and, and not as a step in the data pipe. A second one to highlight and related to the shift from ETL to ELT is in the middleware stage with the shift of manual process to automated data transformation. So here, companies such as DBT uh, allow organizations to optimize their antiquated data transformation processes and build data pipelines to make data more accessible. So what this enables is the ability for organizations to track dependencies and improve data queryability. I think another one to highlight from Harsha and Dominic would be the shift towards self-service insights. So turning analysts into citizen data scientists or business analysts enables organizations to develop customized output and insights with the data. So organizations are now armed with powerful software um, so they can perform more detailed diagnostic analyses, create machine learning models to supplement their work uh, and just draw better insights from the data at hand. And I think those three are are, pretty key to to highlight, but there are about a dozen or so overall. Wonderful. Thank you, Jordan. That was really informative. 
Now let's uh, shift gears um, a bit and talk about the next topic. What are some of the key growth areas in the modern DNA value chain? We are seeing growth really across the board. Um, I think if you look at you know the nature of the infrastructure of the pipeline that have been you know set up in various organizations, it's varying degrees of maturity. So we are seeing the ability to run analysis at the right level being mixed, actually. So we're seeing investments uh, in upgrading the infrastructure right from the start to the end. So think about the data sources itself, whether it's uh, structured or unstructured data format. We're starting to hear areas around pulling data from IoT devices as an example. So you're starting to collect all kinds of telemetry from different sources of information, whether it's the application, whether it's the device, the individual behaviors, et cetera. So uh, the source of the data itself is one where we're seeing product design being developed to allow for more reading of information, number one. Number two is data integration. Now, data integration has been around ever since the data infrastructure of 30, 40 years itself, but the ability to integrate different types of data feeds in whatever frequency is needed, there's an area of investments, whether it's uh, iPaaS, whether it's CDC, whether it's uh, proprietary connectors between applications, et cetera. Even within integration, there's different types, right? Whether you copy the data, move the data, or just you know just transfer just the metadata itself uh, has implications around consumption of compute, security, doing it in a compliant manner. And so there's different techniques in which is in which data can be integrated itself. So the the flexibility of allowing for integration at scale and on the demand is important. Uh, certainly, you know, there's a lot to be said around the analysis itself, and there's a lot of innovation going on in the analytics engines, whether it's uh, supervised, unsupervised machine learning, and certainly with all of the themes that are going around with generative AI, I think that just introduces another demand uh, in terms of innovation on that layer. So the ability to bring together data sets in order to train large language models uh, in a compliant and safe manner. Uh, so you've got the quarantine around the data sets. Those are areas that we're seeing a lot of innovation. So perhaps it'll lead to the revival of on-prem infrastructure in a very large way, as an example. We're seeing investments in data pipelines, specifically around moving data between source and target destination. And certainly uh, a lot has been said around visualization already. And I think that will continue to be an area of development, but more importantly, uh, it's utility for an individual stakeholder that wants to consume it in a certain way. One area that we're starting to see very, very early stage investments is particularly around the area of uh, observability, just to be able to have an audit trail on data as it progresses from source to destination and checking the reliability of the analysis because you're able to verify uh, the authenticity and the relevance of specific data feeds. Those are just uh, some examples, but Frankly, we're seeing investments across the board because every organization has can can sit in different levels of maturity in terms of its own data infrastructure. Those are fantastic points, Arsha. Thank you. Now, if we if we take a step back, we discussed um, differences between modern and legacy infrastructures. Discussed the benefits of implementing and growth areas of a, a modern tech infrastructure. What what is the current state of the market share? between legacy vendors and modern solutions in the DNA industry? Sure, Marco. So we've been tracking and sizing this market for a number of years. When we look at the historical market sizes and growth rates, what we've seen is that the legacy vendors have 
course, taken a greater share of the market spend. But modern solutions have been growing, I think, on total up to twice as fast overall. And depending on the category, uh, multiples uh, as fast as legacy solutions, such as the data integration and processing uh, stage. And so what we're seeing is that modern solutions uh, now enable uh, expanded use cases across business units and introduce additional decision makers. So as these business unit leaders push for expanded use cases, additional budgets are being allocated to spend on these solutions. So what we're seeing is this share shift almost being about 50-50 today. Uh, There's continued innovation across the data analytics value chain both from established modern players, as well as from more emerging or nascent providers in particular. And I think there are certain categories in in particular that we're seeing uh, having outsized investments, such as the middleware layer. Uh, You have companies within data observability, reverse ETL, uh, getting hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of investment over the last number of years. And so we continue to see a significant shift towards modern solutions um, which will you know become the the, the dominant form of the, the market spend uh, over the next number of years thank you for the uh, thoughtful response uh, jordan dominic uh, earlier you, you mentioned how organizations can fit into different archetypes based on what tools they deploy uh, what are the four distinct archetypes um, of the shift towards a modern dna infrastructure and what are the characteristics of each stage yeah, absolutely, Marco. And I think, yeah, obviously, as we as we walk through the the archetypes here, it's important to keep in mind that the concept of a modern data and analytics architecture is by no means monolithic. Right? There's obviously many different flavors and uh, types of uh, DNA architecture that, that an organization can deploy, and we've really identified four predominant archetypes uh, among the organizations that we've seen that have already started and are well advanced in their journeys towards more of a modern modern approach. So the first step is what we have termed uh, the centralization stage. And this is really where organizations are expanding beyond the data silos that may characterize more of a uh, more of a legacy architecture. Uh, And typically what you see here is the initial adoption of a cloud data warehouse uh, and the associated data integration and some data processing needs in order to support that migration to to modern data storage. So again, has huge variation across the different organizations, but typically this might look like a migration to a Snowflake or a Databricks. Maybe an organization is using one of the hyperscalers, so Amazon, uh, Azure, and then they're utilizing various data pipes, be it an ELT, ETL process, to move the data from existing silos into that site centralized storage location. So maybe it looks like a Fivetran connected with a with a DPT in, in Snowflake is one relatively common combination of, of tools. And if we think about the organizations that have actually already begun their journey towards a modern data architecture, we actually still see the majority of those organizations within this first archetype. So even the transition to modern data architecture is still in a relatively early stage. But even once you're once you've begun that journey, there's still relatively few organizations that have moved beyond that first archetype. 
The second archetype is what we call the visualization and optimization stage. So this is where uh, you start to really drive the core benefits of a modern architecture. Uh, so maybe you're implementing real-time use cases. There's a lot more focus on data governance and data cataloging and security. So this is where we see tools such as uh, Calibra and Elation uh, initially deployed. It's also where those investments that are happening further down in the value chain really start to bear fruit, right? So you're getting into your reporting and data visualization use cases. So maybe utilizing tools such as Looker or ThoughtSpot on top of uh, a modern data warehouse to really drive the benefits of having data within a centralized location. The third step, which we, which we term the intelligent product stage, is starting to move beyond structured data into either unstructured and, and semi-structured data and really starting to utilize data lakes, which obviously more typically house unstructured, semi-structured data relative to a, relative to a data warehouse. Uh, so you may see tools such as event stream processing being used to a greater extent. So Confluent, as an example, maybe organizations will start to deploy Databricks alongside Snowflake in this particular architecture. Uh, and you're also starting to see more of a preliminary experimental usage of more predictive data analytics. And that really then feeds into the, uh, the, fourth, the fourth stage, which we call the DNA excellence stage, which is where you're really utilizing best of breed machine learning and AI uh, to its greatest extent. So this would be organizations where you have you know, truly data scientists and data analysts embedded in every single business unit. You may even have a centralized machine learning oriented team that is focused on driving the best possible tools. So data robot, data IQ, as an example, uh, would be some of the tools that you're starting to see in this fourth and final stage. But as mentioned, you know, if we take those organizations that have begun this modern journey, they're still very much clustered around that first archetype. We do see organizations that are making the initial steps into the second stage and the third stage. And then it's really you know, a select group of leaders that are even touching the, the DNA excellent stage. Thank you, Dominic. Uh, this is very fascinating. And it's clear that a lot of thought has gone into this research. Now, as we continue our conversation, I'd be interested to hear some thoughts on what do you consider to be the uh, the key drivers for organizations to transition to a more sophisticated DNA infrastructure? It hasn't really changed. I think it's fundamentally around what we would expect, which is driving automation and then the quality of decisions that is being done today in terms of improving the efficacy of decisions through better data. Now, that might seem trivial. It's It's obviously a question that has been around since the dawn of IT infrastructure. So the fundamental questions haven't changed, but I think the pursuit of some of those capabilities is certainly uh, reaching a higher threshold because of the ability to extract uh, and utilize data from different streams to inform the scope of automation and the scope and efficacy around decision support. So I would say the key driver is number one, organizations realizing that they can take advantage of some of that data sets that they're getting access to, to, to achieve some of those outcomes that they're looking for. So it's a broader recognition 
that there is something they can do to get more, which will drive the investments in a modern data infrastructure that might be appropriate for what they're trying to achieve. I'd say in that, there's probably an understanding that they may not have the foundations uh, to serve a broader uh, digital transformation or uh, you know, modernization effort. And so investments to modernize the underlying architecture, to make it conducive to serve up different applications and so on and so forth. Certainly not everything is being conceptualized today, but investments the, uh, to, to lay the foundation is a key driver there. And that is either recognized at an organizational level, so it's serving all divisions, all stakeholder types, or it could be at a, at a functional level as well. So those are uh, some of the examples there. I'd say as you get more sophisticated in, in the utilization of your infrastructure, you start to think about other issues, right? How can you optimize the resources that you're utilizing, whether it's compute, storage, et cetera, your cloud workloads as an example, how can you reduce the frequency of error, increase the reliability and the data quality that's being served up, uh, implementing you know, the, the uh, governance processes at scale, and ensuring that there is no you know, redundancy around data types. And so no one's, no one's fundamentally questioning the underlying fact base that there is a quote-unquote golden source of information that is appropriate to serve up uh, in combination with other data sets, whether it's the master data with transactional data or reference data as an example. So really making sure that there is a, a proper uh, view on how an organization's data assets are being set up uh, for, for maximum benefit. I think that is really you know, a big driver that, it, it, that, that underpins a lot of the investments. Thank you for the detailed response, uh, Arshep. So if we, if we take a step back, we, we discussed what the different archetypes are what drives organizations to deploy a more sophisticated DNA infrastructure? What, what percent of organizations have truly started their modern data infrastructure journey? And how many have moved beyond the second archetype? Yeah, so we're still in the early innings of this journey to a fully modern suite of solutions. And we, we do see significant white space across the market. So if you, if you look at the data, we were, we're seeing that about 30% of organizations have truly started their modern data infrastructure journey, which means about 70% are still using legacy DNA infrastructure. If we think about the 30% that are using modern DNA infrastructure, we're estimating about 16% of these organizations have moved beyond archetype two. We see a significant amount of near-term addressability uh, amongst the legacy vendors we see about two-thirds of those are, are near-term addressable and maybe an, another one-third are, are long-term addressable. But we, we see all of that legacy infrastructure addressable for, for the modern DNA vendors. There's a, there's a lot of organizations looking to make their initial move out of legacy solutions. And I think the businesses, um, if you think about the investment, time of deployment, speed to realizing ROI, it just has improved significantly over the past few years and it's expected to be the case moving forward. So we see this propelling investment and wider adoption of modern DNA infrastructure going forward. Great. Thank you. Um, thank you, Jordan. To um, close the conversation, we would like to thank our expert guests for the discussion regarding data and analytics ecosystem, software and services, including market perspectives and case examples. We're happy to provide more detailed discussions on requests 
and we invite you to connect with us to learn more about how LEK Consulting has extensive experience in providing strategic support to subscription-based and growth-focused businesses and investors who must focus on data and analytics, such as data integration and processing, the benefits of implementing a modern DNA infrastructure, and improving efficiency as well as customer experiences through personalized interactions. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us today at the Insight Exchange, presented by LEK Consulting. Links to resources mentioned in this podcast can be found in the show notes. Please subscribe or follow for future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, we encourage you to submit your suggestions for future insights online at lek.com.